I hope you had a good Christmas. Did you enjoy sitting with your family, gathered around the living room and opening presents? It's okay to answer. Um, I got to do one of my uh, one of my my favorite Christmas activities. It's kind of my official end of Christmas uh, morning, which in this case for us this week was Christmas afternoon, and that is to go out in the backyard, take the little uh, fireplace thing that we have in the backyard, and set Christmas wrapping on fire. I get my little bit of pyromania practice, and uh, I still, I, it, there was so much wrapping this year that I actually still have some to do, because I wanted to go back in and join the rest of the family after about a couple hours. I've also considered buying a barrel, just so I can do it all at once. This morning, as we uh, kind of talk about the beginning of the new year and the end of the Christmas season, I just want to touch on the, the Christmas story in its greater context and uh, to, to come back to the, the greater meaning and the greater tradition and the greater issues behind this wonderful story. You all know the story. It's the arrival of Jesus on the planet. How crazy is that? It, it, it's, it's only normal because you're accustomed to it. When you tell someone who's never heard the story or when you tell someone who doesn't really understand the grace and power and the mercy of God, it just blows them away. I told you, I think, or I, I don't know, I, I, actually I think I told my wife, I had the opportunity to share this story with a young girl who really hadn't gotten it, hadn't understood it. Uh, she was exposed to it, but it never really sunk in. It never really kind of came to her. And I was sharing the story of Jesus coming to the earth and, and his personal reasons for doing so, and that he was for her and on her side, and that he was trying to benefit and bless and help her, and that the reason he came was that he might sacrifice himself in order to save her. And she got this, this look on her face of kind of, a, kind of astonishment, and she said, and why did he do that? And I said, because he, and I, before I could get the words out of my mouth, she said, loved me. And she didn't just say, you know, because he loved me. She said, because he loved me. And if we don't get behind this story and recognize that what's motivating this is a powerful love straight from the heart of God. We don't know what we're talking about at Christmas. Then we're just buying presents and going to the mall and spending money. and We're missing the point. So I wanted to bring us back to the point, And I want to, I want to illustrate one major point. And I'm going to come back to this next week and the week after that and the week after that. For the beginning of the new year, I'm going to keep hammering away at this. And that is that the point of the story of the Bible is the revelation of the character of who is God? The point of the story of the Bible is the revelation of the character, who is God? A few weeks ago, I had the accidental opportunity to, uh, to teach in the early teen division. I walked in there, and there was no teacher. And um, 
by the way, if the Holy, Holy Spirit just said to you, oh my goodness, why wasn't I there? You need to talk to someone about that. But I accidentally walked in there and I just was going through because Pastor Greg was starting the class and I just was walking through saying hi to the kids and I walked into the early team. There was no teacher. And um, I sat down with them and we chatted for a little while and talked about stories and things they'd been reading. And it dawned on me that I might just tell them about what I thought the story of the Bible was about. And so I started this conversation about the main point, the storyline of the Bible is a revelation of the character of God. And in that discussion, I pulled together in my brain some things that I had been thinking about for a long time, but had never had to tell anybody as one story. And so as we start out the new year, I'm going to, uh, to revisit the things that we shared in your class, only in a little more expanded version. But here's what I want you to understand about the Bible. That the Bible is a story of a simple tale. It's the telling of a simple tale. God was accused of bad behavior, of lying, and of manipulating human, human beings. And the story of the scripture is the telling of his character and the revealing of the truth about who he is. Because God certainly could have stood up and said, no, I'm not. I didn't lie. But how does that go over on the playground? He had to give evidence of the change. He had to give evidence of who he was. He had to pour out a picture that was so clear that no one could question it. And the final act of this drama is the one that opens in Bethlehem. But the motivation of this is very important. To understand the motivation of the story of Bethlehem is to understand this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. We always give gifts. And if you go on the internet and you ask, well, why, why do people give gifts at Christmas? The first reference is always the Magi. Because some wise men came from the East and they brought with them gifts. And that's the reason we give gifts. But to, to do so is to miss the bigger gift and to miss the biggest of all givers. And so I just want to walk you through the story, a story you're very familiar with, but I want to point out some gifts. Before we walk through it together, I just want to refresh your memory. This is, we read from Luke last week, we're reading from Matthew this week. Matthew, after he tells the story of the generations of, uh, of the family of Joseph, says these things. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. The generations from David until the captivity of Babylon are 14. From the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He had three choices. He could divorce her and do it secretly like this. Because once you're betrothed, the only way out of it in Galilee was to divorce. He could have her stoned publicly and humiliated in the square. He could have just told everybody that she deserved to be killed. Or he could have just revealed that the baby wasn't his and let the, let the community decide how to handle it. 
Instead, he took the most gracious of all ways. He decided he would divorce her quietly and not explain why. To try to keep her protected from what might happen to her. From the likelihood that she would be stoned or thrown off one of the cliffs in near, nearby Galilee. Being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, your, take to you Mary for your wife. For that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What I'd like to do this morning is take a look through the story at the gifts of God. The promise of God was in Isaiah 7.14. Pastor Greg took you through this passage and showed you its first application to that local event, to that local experience where the little boy named God with us was running around inside the household of the king. And that little boy was a reminder that God was coming, that God was present. But this passage is also pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. In Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first gift in this story is the gift of Gabriel's announcement. Do you realize the woman could have just gotten pregnant? The angel didn't have to tell her. God didn't have to warn her about what was going on. She, should have, she could have just gotten pregnant. She could have suddenly started growing and thought it was some kind of tumor. And then all of a sudden there was a baby. I like this picture because look at Mary. Does she look a little scared? A little disturbed by what she's seeing? A little concerned about the announcement? Wouldn't you be? First of all, an angel just appeared in your bedroom at night. That should freak you out just a little unless it happens to you normally. If that happens to you regularly, please come talk to me afterwards. Either something really amazing is going on or you need to see a professional. An angel shows up in her, in her bedroom at night and he tells her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. But he introduces himself in this way when, and, and he introduces him by saying, oh, you are blessed of God. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. An angel shows up and says, you are blessed of God. Part of me would say, that's cool. Part of me would say, is there more to this paragraph? And part of me would wonder what, what, what the more might be. Most of our Christian experience is spent avoiding what the more might be. Admit it. We tend to say, we'll surrender to God. I promise I'm leaving here today completely surrendered to God. And then all of a sudden you realize that that surrender could mean a change in your lifestyle, a change in your behavior, a change in the way you go about things, a change. God might ask you to do something differently. And we spend our life surrendering up to that point where we think something might have to change. Quiet in the church. Because it's true of us as it was true of her. The question was, what in the world does this mean? What kind of strange thing is happening? I mean, that's why I chose this picture, because it looks like that's the question she's asking with her face. 
okay. But I want you to think of the first gift from God being ascending Gabriel to her and saying, Mary, I need to tell you what's about to happen. Trust me, you are blessed of God. God is on your side in this. He's for you. He's supporting you. He's not letting you do this by yourself. He's going to walk right along with you. But you're going to have a baby. And it's not Joseph's. It's God's. should completely blow your mind because it's impossible it's impossible and yet that's the core of the story here's God stepping into life bringing a little tiny package wow two cells just met inside this little girl and they began dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing all the power of God in the universe was growing inside a teenage girl. Gift number one. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken of the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which, is, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary to be his wife. What's the second gift, I think? It's Gabriel talking to Joseph. Because she needed Joseph. And I believe Joseph, Joseph loved her. That's why he was going to put her away quietly. That's why he wasn't going to cause her any harm or any more harm than necessary. That's why he was going to be gentle with her. Because he cared about this girl. He loved this girl. We don't know the backstory. They may have been looking at each other through the, through the streets of Nazareth his whole life. We, we picture Joseph, Joseph as an older man. But you realize that's just church tradition. Right? There's no way of actually knowing for sure. You know why we picture Joseph as an older man? Because it was taught in the church very, very early on that she was a virgin for her entire life. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus had, had brothers and sisters. Well, either they were born before her, which is why church tradition is taught that Joseph was an older man, or they were born after him and he was the oldest son. In which case, Jesus has half-brothers and sisters. That too should blow your mind. James, Joseph, Judah, and I can't remember the other one. There's the one that doesn't begin with a J. And sisters, who ladies get unnamed. Gabriel comes and tells Joseph, you don't have to worry about Mary. Nothing, she has done nothing wrong here. It's okay to take her as your wife. And he does. The next gift in the story is Elizabeth celebrating Mary's child. In my heart, I think this is the first person to celebrate Mary's child. Up to this point, Joseph is worried. Really, Mary's worried. Probably Mary's parents are worried. But now we have somebody who, when the baby and the mother show up, is excited about the arrival of the new baby. 
Elizabeth is excited about the fact that Mary's going to have a baby and that that baby is the Messiah. It's the first celebration, as far as I can tell in the story, of the coming of Jesus. The first one to recognize that this is amazingly good news. And to not have any holds barred, to not have any reins on the story, any reins on the idea, to just simply celebrate the arrival of the fact that Jesus is coming. The child inside of her celebrates with her, hearing the voice of Mary, the baby starts doing cartwheels inside his mom. John the Baptist's first sermon was right there inside his mother's stomach at six months. Mom, this is the guy. Later, he would point to Jesus in the crowd and he'd say, the one I saw the Holy Spirit descending upon, that is he. But there inside his mother's womb, when Mary arrived, the Holy Spirit spoke to a baby still in utero, which, by the way, should also blow your mind. And John does cartwheels inside his mom, begins to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah and Elizabeth celebrates Mary's arrival. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. You know what this also gave Mary? Some time away to sort this whole mess out. She's pregnant in a small town where it's not a good thing. Where the punishment is death. And God gives her a breather. He says, go off and see Elizabeth. Who greets her with joy. No shame. No doubt. No questioning. Just joy. And she stays there till the birth of John. Three months. To stay there. And let the baby grow. And get used to the idea of telling this story in the streets of Nazareth over and over and over again. The next gift, with the fingerprints of God all over it, is Caesar's tax. Taxes are a gift. This also should blow your mind. Caesar's tax is an absolute gift from God. Because when it becomes about that time, when the neighbors are looking at her and saying, isn't she a little too far along? Didn't they just get married about five months to six months ago? Well, I don't understand what's going on here. She's either eating too much with this pregnancy or something else is crazy here. Just about the time when everybody in town starts to yak And the people in town start to talk to each other about this woman and the possible shame of the arrival of a child off the timetable. Caesar calls for a tax. And blessed be Caesar, they get to leave town. And with every step toward Bethlehem, there's a little more distance from Nazareth and explaining the story. And the further down the road they get the closer they get to anonymity. And this baby that's born in this main, or born in this, this stable and lying in this manger is given a place where the story doesn't have to be explained to anyone to be born. That's a gift from God. And the next gift is the one we all know about. He comes. And I know I, I need to think of a new illustration, a new picture for this, but every time... 
I think of Christmas, and every time I think of Jesus' arrival, I am reminded of the genie in Aladdin doing battle at the end of the, of the cartoon. And the other genie has now gotten all this authority and all this power, and he's just tearing everything up. Or the other, the other uh, sorcerer, I guess he's a sorcerer. These new movies always have a sorcerer. And he says, he tricks him into wanting to be the most powerful genie in the world. And he says, yes, that's my third wish. I want to be the most powerful genie in the world. And the, this big, enormous genie now goes down into a lamp. And the genie, played by the late Robin Williams, says, Awesome cosmic power! Little tiny carrying case. Every time I think of the arrival of God in the size of a baby... Maybe he was a huge baby and he weighed 10 pounds, but it's still the God of the universe. Maybe he was a tiny six-pounder. It's still the God of the universe. The awesome authority of heaven, all the power of heaven and earth, little tiny carrying case. Man, that also ought to blow your mind. That God decided to become human. And he didn't arrive as an adult. He arrived as a baby. And he put himself at risk. And he put himself in the hands of a normal, normal human couple who would have all the normal things that normal human couples have happen in their life. At a time when babies died of starvation, when babies died in childbirth, when babies died of all sorts of things, God put himself in that risk at that time. For our sake. What a story. Unbelievable story. And the next gift. The shepherds. You see. It was great to have the baby in anonymity. But nobody was celebrating this baby since Elizabeth. It was still a growing problem for Mary and Joseph. How to explain what was about to happen. And now they're in Bethlehem and they're, they're, they're anonymous now. And now someone tells the shepherds the story. And they show up at the door looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they tell the story of the angels. And they tell the story of the heavens filling with song. And they tell the story of these parents of God's celebration of their child. Can you imagine the gift of relief for Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine the smile that finally creeps across the faces of these new parents whose life has been filled with anxiety? And now the heavens are celebrating their child. And then they take him after eight days into the sanctuary to have him circumcised and an old man named Simeon, who's been promised by God that he will see the Messiah before he dies, comes up, recognizes Jesus, lifts him up to the heavens and prays a blessing upon him. And says at the end of that blessing, now I can die because I have seen the Messiah. Somebody else 
that God's been speaking to who knows the story. And then an old woman who also hangs around the temple named Anna comes up. She takes the child. Everybody wants to take this child. You know how this is with new babies, right? Everybody's grabbing the baby, wanting to carry the baby around. Pastor Greg is the biggest baby thief in this church. He's forever taking people's babies and walking off with them. He could be Simeon. He wouldn't make a very good Anna, but he'd be a great Simeon. She takes this baby and she too recognizes that this is the Messiah. And she speaks into the heart of Mary and she speaks into the heart of Joseph that it's okay that God has this in his control. God has a plan for you and for your child. She speaks into them the heart of God and they're given the gift of assurance that this isn't some crazy thing that, that Mary dreamt up to protect herself. That this is in fact the word and the direction of the Holy Spirit and of God. And then, then come some guys on the Mercedes-Benz of the era. We say there were three because there were three gifts, but there could have been 25 of them. We don't know, but they ride up on camels. Two humpers. They ride up on the camel and they come into this come into this little town and they find this baby and they find these parents and they say, We saw the star, and it was prophesied long ago that a star would arise out of the east when the king of Israel arrived, and we've come to see the baby who was born king of the Jews. And again, the proof of God's heart is poured into the hearts of Mary and Joseph. And the Bible says she stores up these things in her heart. You see, God didn't leave Mary and Joseph alone. God didn't just abandon them, say, hey, by the way, you're having Jesus, have fun, see ya. He took them step by step through the process and he cared for them and he cared for Mary when she needed a place to go away. And he brought up Caesar's tax. I don't know if he held it off or brought it early, but he brought up Caesar's tax when the baby was to be born so they could go off and have the baby in an anonymous way. And he brought testimonies from the shepherds and he brought testimonies from the magi and he brought the testimonies of the angels and he brought Simeon's testimony and he brought Anna's testimony because they needed to know that God had a plan and God was in the plan they were experiencing And then he sends them off to Egypt for the child to grow. If they return to Nazareth with this newborn baby, somebody's going to do the math. But they go off and spend 12 or 10 years or so in Egypt. After the math is long forgotten, they come back home. God has been protecting them and their reputation all along. It was frightening. It was disconcerting. It was certainly disruptive. But God had not forgotten them. God's fingerprints are all over this story. And I want to tell you what it says about his heart. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This story is one of those revelations of who God is. It says that God wants to reveal himself to mankind in a way that mankind will understand. Puts himself in the body of a human so we will get it. And then he guards and guides and cares for the family who's chosen to carry this gift and the burden. You see, the bottom line is, God's fingerprints are all over your story too. Some of us have had difficult things happen. Some of you have been called to do things you didn't want to do. There was no line, there was no handout, there was no place to sign up to bear the Messiah. It just happened to Mary. And though Jewish women for centuries had thought this would be a great idea when it actually happened to one of them. The greatness of the idea didn't seem so clear all of a sudden. But the greatness of God became clearer and clearer and clearer. His intervention and his care and his interaction with them. His protection from embarrassment and shame. His protection for their characters and for their reputation goes through this story one time after another time after another. And when it finally became necessary for them to hear from someone but Gabriel that he was working in their lives and that this was in fact the Messiah, then he sends the angels to the shepherds and the shepherds to them. He sends the Magi from Persia all the way across the desert to tell them the story of a prophecy that's hundreds of years old. He sends Simeon. He sends Anna, who had been waiting in the temple all this time for the arrival of the Messiah. I don't know who needs to speak into your life, but I know God has them ready if you're ready to listen. I don't know where you are and what you're questioning, but I know that God is still on his throne and he's trying really hard to get through to you and to me. And the biggest problem we have with getting the information from God is not God speaking. It's us listening. So many people tell me that it's just silent in heaven. Well, turn off your radio once in a while. Get your nose out of the newspaper. Stop and listen. Spend some time outdoors. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time looking up into the heavens at night. Stop and listen. I think you'll hear. Open the scriptures and read and listen and try to figure out what God is saying to you there because he's trying to speak. Are you trying to hear? Whether you're on the top of some great experience right now or in one of those lows of life, he's still speaking to you. And he's trying to give to you the gifts that are specific for you in your situation and your circumstances. As specific as those gifts given to that young couple. Stop and listen. You will find them. Because he's speaking. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us this story, to give, giving us enough information that we can see your hand. Thank you for being willing to come to this little blue dot 
Thanks for being willing to die for this little blue dot. Thank you for coming for me and for this church, each one, and for dying so that each one of us had the choice to follow you, to be covered by your grace, to be washed in your blood, and to be saved. Thank you that you are, in fact, on our side. In Jesus' name. And because he came. Amen.